Welcome to the Clear Choices Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Eigner, and it is my unique privilege to bring you intriguing conversations with people who have made the bold choices necessary to elevate their lives and create a positive impact on the world. By hearing their stories, I hope you walk away more motivated and more inspired to do the same in your life. Because we all have choices to make. My goal is to help inspire you to make more conscious and powerful choices, clear choices. Now let's get started. Hello, Clear Choices listeners. Welcome to another episode of Clear Choices. I'm Rob Eigner. Thrilled to have the guest with me that I have today. His name is Tyler Lukey. He is a writer, a social capitalist, I love that term, and an entrepreneur. And he even comes to my show with a mission statement. Uh, not all my, uh, my guests have a mission statement. His is to create broadly available, provoking content, build prosperous enterprises that directly benefit social transformation, aid successful entrepreneurs to become successful humans, and vice versa. That is very unique. And I'm going to read a quote off of his website, which of course we'll share with you all in the show notes. A quote from Tyler, on this path, I think the only real key to happiness is to, no matter what, keep moving. I love a million things. Tried the simple life and it's not really for me. I love business. I love big problems. I love drama and figuring stuff out. I see life as a Rubik's Cube. I just love that quote. I love everything about that mission statement. And not surprisingly, Tyler is a very much a unique type of guest on this show because I didn't really bring him on the show for a specific reason of something that he overcame, but more that he's just a very interesting, intelligent person who is always in pursuit of higher levels of happiness and joy and accomplishment. So with that introduction, welcome, Tyler. Thank you. Welcome. I'm grateful to be here, Rob. This is awesome. Yeah, you're uh, you're you're a, a really dynamic person. So I want to eventually get to a little bit of history on what made you the person you are now, who's pursuing all those things that I just shared. But tell us a little bit about what you're doing in your life right now. What are the what are the key silos and buckets in your life that you're? Oh my uh, gosh! Well, I'm a son and a dad and a partner and a business guy and a serial entrepreneur and a writer. Uh, I run a Buddhist temple, which is really awesome and interesting. I'm sober 28 years. I just ran the Marine Corps Marathon. I wake up every day trying to be joyful, not happy, because I think joyful is more sustainable. Uh, And I'm obsessed with making money because I think it's a powerful tool to do good in the world. That's that is a mouthful, and exactly why you're here. So we're gonna see, we're gonna see we're gonna see if we can unpack that a little bit. So cool. so you actually um, you actually kind of took one of the things I'd written down in my preparatory notes. I wanted to ask you about happiness versus joy, and you just you know it was your opening yeah. sentence. So talk to me about that. What's the difference? Well, um, I think joy is something that is sustainable. I would say joy is the flagpole. And happiness is the flag. Uh, In my experience, happiness is subject to the winds of the world and society and culture and uh, suffering. And joy is something that comes from within inside that's more sustainable and sturdy. Would you say, and I'm going to be a little bit gratuitous to my own broadcast here, would you say that joy is more of a choice? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, happiness is fleeting. Joy is, is a conscious activity and a conscious behavior. So Tyler, why do you think people struggle or are challenged with finding joy in the moment? I think that they believe that suffering is optional. Uh, I think that they think that problems can be avoided. I think they think change can be avoided. And so my experience is that um, it's only in the pursuit of trying to end suffering that you actually suffer. It's actually embracing the fact that life is subject to pain and change and turmoil. And and you find a way to have a sturdy joy within that. I'm more interested in the tools that help me navigate suffering than I am to avoid suffering. That makes sense. Yeah, it actually makes total sense. And I'm gonna I'm gonna quote a book that I think I've quoted on another episode, but uh, it seems to come up from time to time. Have you ever read The Road Less Traveled? Yeah, for sure. So you know, it was the first kind of self help book I ever read in my life, and and the opening paragraph is something I'm paraphrasing here, but something to the effect of, you know, um, life is difficult. Yeah. And once, once you fully accept that fact, it becomes inherently easier. So that speaks right directly to what you're talking about. Yeah, it sure does. Yep. So do, have you always been in a, a period of joy or have you struggled yourself? Oh my gosh. Well, there is no such thing as a period of joy. I don't think. Um, yeah, no, I've had tremendous struggle, tremendous suffering. Um, and I'm so grateful because I think that the only reason you see a sunrise is because you were in darkness, you know? And so I've learned to be accepting of those dark times uh, and be a student of them as much as I possibly can uh, so that I can really have a more fully embraced appreciation of the sunrise, you know, mm-hmm. those joyful, more sturdy times. So, yeah. So if you don't mind, let's go, let's go back in time a little bit. I mean, I want to talk about your books and I want to talk a little bit more in depth about happiness and joy, because I think that's a subject worthy of an entire episode. But talk to us a little bit about, you know, who you were as a young person and yeah, some of the big, you know, milestones you went through to get to a place where you're writing books and running large enterprises. Yeah. So I guess what I would say is I come from a broken home, uh, which has been a real blessing in my life, but it didn't uh, show up as a blessing until halfway through my life. So mm-hmm. A um, lot of lot of pain. My my mom left when I was five, and um, by the time I was you know a teenager, I weighed over three hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, was addicted. Uh, was lacking any significant relationships of value. What were you addicted to, if I can ask? You know, I would say I'm addicted to almost everything. I'm just a highly addictive person, so I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm, I have to be really careful. It doesn't matter what the substance is. It could be alcohol. It could be drugs. Food is certainly my drug of choice. I have, you know, a pretty profound eating disorder. And what do you weigh right now? I'm looking at you, and I can guess, but what do you, what do you weigh? I weigh about 155, and my top weight was 327. So you're, you're literally half the man you used to be. I am literally half the man. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and um, not to interrupt the, the, the historical through line that we're going for right now, but like when you were at your highest weight, how long did it take you to get to a healthy weight? So um, in October of 2004, I uh, began a journey that I've not gotten off of. And I'd already been sober from other substances a long time. But it, it was that, that moment when I started to really address my eating disorder and recognize this fire in me. I, I truly don't believe that there's any difference between heroin and food. Uh, if you're an addict, you're an addict. And it, it, things can alter you regardless. Um, and so in 2004, I got what I would call food sober or sober-minded. 
And um, I've been able to, you know, on a daily basis, re recommit to a, a sober-minded life since that day. And I probably lost the mo most of that weight within the first eighteen months, and have kept it off for you know more than a decade. And now you're 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 running, you're hiking. Anything else that is your sport of choice? You know, I'm I'm a I am a big time runner. I just ran the Marine Corps Marathon. It's probably my favorite thing to do. But um, I I just love to be out in the world and on the planet in the dirt. So anywhere I'm moving, I'm pretty happy. Uh, but that's the movement is not nearly uh, as valuable as the. Uh, me addressing why I was living an addictive life. And can you summarize that answer? Yeah, I would say I, I thought that you could avoid pain and I thought that you didn't have to learn how to navigate it. So I was using things to avoid, avoid pain and distract and, you know, bypass doing the work, um, you know, the work of telling the truth, the work of making amends, the work of, of building a life, the work of figuring out what it takes every day to accomplish what I say I want. That's awesome. And, uh, uh, you know, people, uh, can absolutely go through an entire lifetime, not, you know, reaching that, uh, that awareness that you have at a, at a really relatively young age. Yeah. So, um, so shifting a bit. So talk to us about, um, your books. How many books have you written? So I have um, a first and second edition of uh, a book called Empty, Empty, Happy, Happy. I'd love you all to order it on Amazon. <laughs> and, uh, that, that'll also be in the show notes, Tyler. Don't awesome. Worry. Good. And I make absolutely no money from that. It's 100% <laughs> of the profit goes to a really amazing cause. So I want to just be clear about that up front. Yeah, that book really was written uh, as a, a little like side project in the midst of a big book that is coming out uh, next spring. And so, um, yeah, those two books are out. I'm working on a third book is called Happy With, Happy Without, which I think the title speaks pretty strongly to itself. And so funny story, my daughter, when she was younger, I was teacher this concept of being happy with, happy without. And she came back to me and she said, Dad, I've been thinking about it a little bit. and I'd like to rephrase that happier with, happy without. <laughs> so any of you who are parents will relate to that pretty well. But for um, sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm really, I'm really excited about this new project. It's going to be a series of stories um, from various faith traditions that show how cultivating an inner life is really the only thing that brings you happiness that's sustainable. Love that. So, so I, one of the things I'm super impressed by in you and inspired by is that, you know, I know how busy, you know, you run, you run a, uh, a large real estate sales team. You also run a large real estate office of how many agents? Uh, 330 today. So you have an operation of 330 people uh, plus your own business. And, and then on top of it, you're writing books yeah. and you're running marathons. So I think one of the things that I would think of if I was a listener on the show right now is like, how does he do all that? How do you manage? So how do you manage your time? How do you time block? And writing is something I've spent time doing. It's very hard or very yeah. challenging and, uh, lonely. and lonely. And so how do, you, how do you juggle all that? So I believe there's only one purpose of a goal. And the purpose of a goal is to define your behavior in the present moment. And so I do spend time getting really clear about how I want to feel. So a question I'll often ask myself as an example is, on December 31st, 2020, in my business, how do I want to feel about it on December 31st, 2020? And then I'm able to put action steps in place, behaviors, strategies, tactics that will yield the, the feeling that I want. Um, so that's been really beneficial to me is figuring out how I want to feel and then what are the steps I need to put in place 
in order to, to achieve that. And then I'm just obsessed with accountability and doing what I say. So I try to get really clear about what I want. I try to get really clear about the no less than four, no more than eight tactics that will help me achieve that objective. And then I don't pay attention to the goal. I only pay attention to the behavior that should yield the result that I'm after. So on a daily basis, I'm not saying, did I sell 400 houses or did I finish this book? I'm saying, did I write a thousand words today? Did I call 10 clients today? I'm, I'm obsessed with the behavior, not the result. The small, not the big. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Um, I've probably mentioned this uh, to you in another conversation, a previous conversation, but I think it's worth mentioning on the show as well. Uh, there was a recent interview with Tim Ferriss, his podcast, interviewing Gary Keller, the founder yeah. of Keller Williams Realty. And it within that, the whole the whole episode, so you know, listeners, I'm gonna I'm gonna promote another podcast, and that is it's worth listening to Gary Keller talk about focus because he gets very granular about scheduling and staying on task and thinking, thinking big in a really big way, like, hey, I want to you know, accomplish this giant goal, but the way to get there is these little grains of sand every day. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's sort of what you're talking about. I really appreciate that. Yeah. It, it's actually one of the things that I learned from Gary Keller. I've had the good fortune of being up close with him a lot. And, he, you know, the footprint of him is all over my life. Like he's just influenced a lot of it. And those philosophies, you know, the one thing, the book he wrote, what's the one thing you can do such by doing so everything else becomes easier or unnecessary. And I've really taken that question and, and I've planted it at the base of every ounce of my life. You can't find a place in my life where I'm not asking that question and figuring out what's the highest and greatest use of this moment in time. Yeah, I think, I think uh, for those people who are familiar with the book, I think a mistake some people make is they go, oh, what's my one thing? And then, then there's only one thing for their life. But that's right. not really the essence of the book. It's like, what's my one thing about diet? What's my one thing about exercise? What's my one thing about family? What's my one thing about money? What's my, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So you have multiple one things in your various silos of your life. Yeah. You know, I I have a a really great analogy I use when I talk about the one thing. Um, I'm really obsessed with working with addicts. Um, I believe we live in the United States of addiction and addiction is one of the greatest destruction things that's happening in our world. So I love helping people get sober. And I used to think that the one thing they could do such by doing so everything else would become easier or unnecessary was to go to meetings, you know, whether that be a 12 step meeting or a prayer or meditation doesn't matter. But I thought getting in community and getting around fellow people in recovery was the one thing they could do that would make everything else easier. What I discovered was I would take guys to those meetings and they would fall asleep uh, and they wouldn't get much benefit out of the meeting because they were still struggling with just daily survival skills. And I realized actually to get help, get someone sober, the first thing I can do that's more important than anything else was help them get into a healthy sleep pattern. Yeah. Once I sleeping well, then I could take them to a meeting and they would get 20 times as much out of it because they were awake. Yeah. That's, I mean, I know that my day can completely be determined, not completely, but heavily influenced by how well I slept. Yeah, for sure. Critical. So, so we're talking about some, you know, science, if you will, that can kind of relate to happiness and balance, et cetera. So I, I'm going to do something a little different with you. Usually I, I read some statistics to my uh, guests around whatever topic it is that they're an expert in or, or that they're commenting on. In your case, I'm going to do sort of a, 
a rapid fire, get your response to some different stats. So I'm going to share with you some statistics about the science of happiness. Cool. And I'm going to go one by one. and I just want you to have whatever reaction uh, you have. Okay. Yeah. So uh, first thing, 20 minutes outside a day boosts positive mood. Your response to that? Uh, Impossible to not be true. Great. So this one, I'm very curious about your response. Married people are 10% happier than unmarried people. Oh my gosh. (laughs) 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 Wow. Um, I, I would be very suspect of that evidence. (laughs) <laughs> I think you have to filter your own bias there. <laughs> well, I, you know, I guess I would say, um, I think people are made to be in community and fellowship. I think we're made to be in partnership. I think when people are together, they are in their higher selves. And so I do believe that. I don't know that the, the label of marriage per se is the right one for every human. But community. But community is. Okay, great. Happiness, happiest occupations in order, clergyman, actor, architect, and firefighter. That makes a billion percent sense to me. Tell me why. Because I think that there's no greater joy than helping someone align their inner life with their outer life. I know lots of people with a beautiful inner life who don't know how to have it be representative on, in their outer world and vice versa. And so a clergy, uh, as an example, is, has the unique and profound opportunity to help people integrate their inner life and their outer life. Well said. I love that. Uh, I'm certain I'm going to uh, predict your uh, response on this one. Around the world, consumerism is the biggest suppressant of happiness. Billion percent, yes. Yeah. Now, th- this one this one I thought was interesting. So Mexico and Puerto Rico, in this particular poll that I found, uh, have the most satisfied people. And Nigeria and Mexico have the most optimistic people. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense to me, but I suspect for your listeners, that'll be very surprising. Yeah. And so why does it make sense and why do you think it would be surprising? Because in America, we have been, we've been told how to feel, how to believe, what the definition of success is, what the definition of happiness is, um, and we've been lied to. Uh, and when you go to countries, developing nations, where I've had the great opportunity to serve in quite a bit you actually learn what authentic joy and happiness is and you realize how unconnected it is to the material world. Mm-hmm. This is uh, sad, but I, uh, I, think I, uh, I think I believe it 100%. Is, so in the whole world, I'm going to give you the top six countries in overall happiness and then where the United States is. So Iceland, number one at 94%. Denmark, number two at 91%. Sweden, number three, 91%, Netherlands, 91%, and then Australia, 90%. So that's the top six. America comes in at 16th. Mm. Yeah, that hurts my heart. Yeah, it does, right? That's exactly my response. It, it made me kind of go like, all right, well, what, what do these guys have in common? The first four countries are cold weather. So you're in Chicago. You yeah. should be happier than me out here in California. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> <laughs> but then Australia throws it all off, right? It does. It does. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So it's really fascinating. You know, our country is pretty young, I suspect, compared to some of those, if we were to look at the evidence. Yeah. Uh, 
And, you know, it feels to me like I, there's a book out called The Second Mountain that I'm in love with right now. Uh -huh. It feels like our country is on the first mountain where we're still in pursuit of ego and identity and striving for how we look. And the second mountain is this time where you no longer care what other people think, but you're looking for that inner radiance and joy and being in service, you know, and I kind of live by the philosophy to have, give all to all. And I think when you get into that phase, it's pretty hard not to find a lot of joy and happiness. Yeah, well said. We're just, not, sure. we're just not there yet as a country, you know. We're still suffering in the belief that the exterior world creates our happiness. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm in agreement, and you know, like probably a lot of people, I uh, I battle with that myself as well. Uh, I'm going to keep going. I think some of these are kind of fun. Uh, and and by the way, if there's any statistic that comes up for you, because I know this is an area you've put a lot of time into researching for books and whatnot. Yeah. Feel free to share anything else you want with me. Cool. Uh, this was a this was a concerning one as well. In a study of patients diagnosed with depression, only nine percent of those patients were treated with exercise. As a anecdote, thirty eight percent received medication, and thirty one uh, percent were treated with both. Hmm. So, medication, in other words, is the dominant form that our society is dealing with people with depression. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, I, I would be sh shocked if it's only 38%. I would have thought you'd say 90%. Um, so maybe in that particular study. But it, we, we are, it, it's just part of the youth of our nation, I believe, that we still look to the exterior to fix the interior. And listen, I'm a fan of medication as a bridge and as a, as a pathway to, to wholeness. I think that it can be a really powerful tool you, used with discernment and wise intention. I'll do, I'm going to do two more and then see if you have any other uh, factoids that you want to share. Uh, so one is students in, in school, 81% of them remembered negative words and feedback more so than positive words and feedback, which was only 31% remembered. So a 50% difference between how we're impacted by the negative versus the positive. Yeah. You know, um, it's my belief that we are all united around common causes. I think that the, the number one way we come together is when we have a common cause. And this may or may not want to make your podcast, but I want Ted Turner, <laughs> Ted Turner and the invention of CNN to be labeled a terrorist organization. because Not because I think CNN's bad or Fox is bad. The 24-hour news cycle, I believe, will go down in history as the most destructive thing that ever happened to our world. I think I would agree with that, particularly in today's day and age when there's so much bombardment of you know news coming out uh, in, yeah. in, the, in these last couple of years for sure. But then on top of that, I would I would argue that as prolific, if not worse, than 24-hour news cycles is uh, is just the handheld smartphone. Yeah, yeah, because whether there's CNN or Fox or not, there's connectivity to the point where you know, people sleep with their phones next to them in their bedroom. I mean, I've never done that. I've always had my phone off in the office, you know, 70 feet away. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the idea of having a, a, a device next to me while I sleep that's dinging and ringing and buzzing and whatever at all times, I just, I, it just can't be healthy. We have more friends and less friendships than ever <laughs> before, correct. you know. 
and uh, and I think that those those I, listen, I'm a I'm actually a big fan of social media and technology, so don't get me wrong. But really, what I think a lot of the root cause of that is is we don't want to be in the present moment and face reality. We're always looking to be where we're not instead of instead of accepting where we are or building a life by design that we want. Yeah, a hundred percent for sure. Uh, I'm going to read you one other quote uh, or one other stat, excuse me. People in the highest income bracket are only 3.5% happier than the average. So so let's think about that, right? The top 1% in America, let's just say it's half a million dollars of income and I'm ballparking, but it's around that. And the average income is like $60,000. And again, I'm ballparking. So the person who's making almost 10 times more than the average is only 3.5% happier. What do you make of that? Yeah. I suspect that 3.5% is because they were more available to answer the survey. I bet it's not even 3.5%. Uh-huh. You know, I, I, think, I think the study is that, it, you know, on average in America, $70,000, I believe, is the threshold. If you're making below 70,000, the truth is you don't have the luxury to figure out happiness, right? Or even talk about it. You're just, you're getting by. But a dollar over 70,000 and you're not, you're not that much happier than at 270,000 because all that that additional money gets you is, is, you know, experiences and things. And you can also have, you might not be able to have everything, but you certainly can have many, many experiences without money. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm in the business of physical structure. And so, you know, I, I see people with, with 10,000 square feet and the most hollow, empty hearts I've ever seen, you know, and I see families with a thousand square feet that are um, just profoundly connected and walking their kids home from school and have meaningful lives. It really matters. So it just depends. Well, I really appreciate you saying that because something I've always, uh, I wouldn't say struggled with, but something I've kind of contemplated a lot as you know, as my family was growing in age, you know, my, my boys are 12 and 16 now. Um, but you know, there was a time and we, you know, we're in a, we're in a very, um, humble house, I would call it, you know, a 1600 square foot house and in, you know, West Los Angeles, but you know, we, we could afford and thought about like, Hey, let's get that bigger house. Let's get that house with the view. Let's get that house with the pool, whatever. And I just never did it partially out of laziness of like, I don't want to move. And partially out of what you were talking about, about how, well, you know, in this smaller home, it's like, you know, we're, there's not, there's nowhere to hide. Like I know what's going on with my other three family members at all time. And we're far more connected, I think, than we were if we were tucked away in some part of a 5,000 square foot house. Yeah, no, I, I really agree. And I also know people in 5,000 square foot houses who are profoundly happy, but um, I do believe that there is a direct correlation between what your where you spend your time, your resources, your focus. You know, uh, Gary Keller, I think, was the guy who recently said, "If you want to know someone's core values, look at how they spend their money." Right. You know, it's pretty simple. What are you up to? Exactly. So, so uh, you talked uh, uh, quite a bit about being um, addicted to being held accountable. Yeah. So how do you, how do you hold others accountable? Cause, uh, and, and yourself. Yeah. Um, I, I really believe like my, the work of my life at this moment in time is to help people integrate their inner life with their outer life. Um, and I don't care what form that takes. That could be in a real estate company that could be at the temple. 
that could be through my books. I want to help people be more transparent and authentic. That's been the journey of my life and the, the blessings that came from living authentically are, are not measurable. There's so many. And so I'm just trying to help people get there. And the way that I help people get there is really helping them get clear about what they actually want. I think that generally speaking, we don't lie to one another. We mostly lie to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And the way we lie to ourselves is we say, oh, I want this. But then when we actually look at what the behavior it will take to get it, then we don't actually want that. Well, and, and I, I would, I'd be curious about your reaction to what I'm about to say. And that is, I, so I agree with everything you just said. And also when people say, hey, I want this, and then they do hold themselves accountable or somehow that thing that they're aspiring towards, they do get it. Yeah. I, I notice that people are usually far less happy or excited or joyful about attaining that thing once they get it. What, what do you think that's about? I think it's, again, it's our, we have been uh, trained uh, at birth, really, to not be in the present moment. And so you're, when you are pursuing that end result, you are not in the present. And then when you get to that end, you're actually in the present, which feels more uncomfortable and less familiar. Mm. You know, plus it's just really fun to have something you're working towards. I, I, I need that. So I actually don't find the goal all that satisfying. I find the journey of the goal to be most satisfying. Yeah, well, well said. Now, shifting gears again, yeah, I know that you, uh, you know, you're involved with this center. I'm assuming that means you're fairly dedicated to meditation yourself. Yeah, I am. So, so talk to us a little bit about what that's given you and what you would say to the listeners about what they might get out of it. So I would say that um, though you know many of us are very familiar with the twelve steps, um, and step eleven has you know this concept that to improve our conscious contact with God, we seek it through prayer and meditation. I'm not suggesting that I'm labeling God in a certain way. I would say the God of your understanding, or you know whatever you want to call him. I think that meditation just helps us get get clear. Uh, and get in contact with something. Maybe that contact is um, wisdom that you've learned along the way that that you just were not accessing, right? Maybe that that you're getting in contact with that intrinsic part of your gut instinct that knows what to do, that knows how to be more kind and less uh, judgmental. Maybe maybe you're getting in touch with when you slow down and pause. You're accessing a part of your brain that isn't as accessible in the fury of life, you know? Yeah. So talk to me just literally about your structure, your personal structure around meditation. How often, when do you do it? What do you do? Yeah. So um, I, I'm sort of a believer that time is an illusion. Uh, I believe in quality, not quantity. So a lot, I teach a lot of introduction to meditation and there's this misnomer, oh, I need to meditate 30 minutes a day or an hour a day or two hours a day or go on a 10-day silent Vipassana retreat. I just don't believe in any of that. Uh, what I really believe is, is that time on task over time is how you build the reservoir of strength inside of you. And so my, my practice is as simple as 10 minutes a day. I start my day uh, writing, and within 30 minutes of being awake, I'm meditating for 10 minutes. And that, that can take on different forms. That could be a, a guided meditation through insight timer. It could be a silent meditation. I've meditated mowing my lawn and doing my dishes. I, I don't know that it's always sitting on a cushion. I actually uh, you know, call that practice, but you can meditate in any environment. I can meditate driving my car. I can meditate focusing on my breath. I can meditate counting. 
how how would you define the difference between meditation and this term that is you know quite common nowadays mindfulness well meditation is the practice so if you're a weightlifter you are lift you you do repetitive weight sets at the gym that's meditation mindfulness is the same as the strength you have out in the world after you've worked out mm. That's it. I've never, that's a, that's a great way to couch it. I've never heard it that way. Uh, I appreciate that. So I, I couldn't just pick one quote for you to react to. So I have at least two and maybe a third one depending. So, and I always pick these out before the conversation starts the interview. And uh, I'm always blown away by how apropos the quotes are that I've selected for someone based on what I've heard you say up till now in our show. So here's the, here's the first one from none other than Gandhi. Happiness is when what you think, what you say, and what you do are in harmony. Mm. Yeah. I I think I would, I wish we could change the word happiness, but I think that a joyful life, it, it comes from those three things for sure. Being in alignment. Yeah, it's just that's your inner and outer life being transparent and authentic and congruent. Now, uh, I'm going to go from Gandhi to the uh, the famous philosopher Valerie Bertinelli. Uh, I, think, <laughs> I think that's awesome. a nice. I think it's a really good juxtas, juxtaposition yes, me here. Too. <laughs> but I, I, I picked her uh, quote uh, partially because um, because of the way she couched it as it relates <laughs> to to clear choices. Happiness is a choice. You can choose to be happy. There's going to be stress, but it's your choice whether you let it affect you or not. Not true. Not true. So talk to me about that. I think that's mostly true, but it's a privileged mindset. So I think that I would love to, to choose happiness, but I think we have to acknowledge that there are some people that are suffering and in circumstances on this planet where uh, it, that's a harder choice to make. Yeah. So I just want to be conscious of that, but mostly I would say that's true. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with you and I really actually appreciate you, you know, kind of pushing back on that uh, and, and making the clarification you did. I agree with what you said that there's definitely people who, whether it's through some physical challenge or some yeah. environmental challenge that choosing to be happy is, is maybe not the right way to couch it. But I do think there's still positive choices to be made in even the most dire situations that can help you get steps closer to the next thing that's going to get you closer to joy. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I mean, and I, I referenced really my, my parents, you know, when I think of that, uh, both having been Holocaust survivors, I know that, you know, sometimes the choice my dad referenced a lot was I just wanted to survive another day. Well, that's a far more positive choice that he made to think that way, as opposed to, you know, some of the, the alternatives. Yes, of course. I love that. So that that's, you know, when I, so when I read that quote from the, you know, ever uh, philosophical Valerie Bertinelli, I, <laughs> I think of just like making the, the closest thing you can to a forward thinking positive choice, even in the most dire of uh, situations. Yeah, for sure. So, so Tyler, um, you know, we, we've covered a really diverse range of topics. And I, I'm not surprised by that, given all the different things that you do. What, what's something that we haven't talked about, whether it's about your life or about your philosophy or what you'd want to share with the audience that, that we should be talking about? Hmm. Well, you know, I, I, think that, uh, I think that I'm pretty obsessed with what we've already addressed, and I, maybe we can address it more. 
I'm, I'm really concerned about our goal-oriented culture carrying around the wrong definition of a goal, you know? And so it makes it like we're in pursuit of, of things and objects versus behaviors. And I think that the more we can pursue noble behavior, um, the faster we will have that joyful life that we're all, I think, you know, universally seeking. Yeah, it reminds me of, uh, I don't know if I'd call it a quote, but a philosophy of, you know, who, who you are, what your character is, can really be displayed by how you behave when no one's watching. Yeah, a hundred billion percent. I mean, I, I'm really, I, I had this conversation with somebody yesterday. I have some, some time in my schedule that I've not previously had in my life. And one of the things that I have taken the opportunity to do is to do an inventory and say, where am I not my most noble self? And how could I be, how could I sharpen the noble blade in every aspect of my life and really uh, realign my behavior with what I aspire my core values to absolutely look like? I think it's really important. So uh, if I could ask you to be vulnerable, where, where did you find you had the most work to do? Uh, well, I mean, I have, I have work to do in a bunch of areas, but the one that I was working on yesterday was around money. So, you know, I'm grateful that I make more than I need and I don't have a lot of debt and I'm in a really good financial place but I'm messy with my money because one of the things I has been an experience in my journey is uh, my money can allow me to be messier than I want to be. It, so it protect- define, define messy with money. You know, I'll be uh, slow to pay somebody uh, because I don't want to take the time. I have four red light tickets from the city of Chicago. Uh, and I, and it, you know, frankly, the amount of time it takes me to get on there to pay the red light ticket costs me more uh, then I can make more in that time than it is than they charge me in late fees. But that doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Well, I'm gonna, uh, with your permission, I'm gonna do a live uh, recorded coaching if you don't mind. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> so, so what I would say, and and I do this in my own life for similar reasons. Like you know, I I've been blessed with an ability to make some money and more yeah. than I need. Um, but I don't like writing bills. I don't like tracking it. I don't like balancing my checkbook. I don't like paying the parking ticket. I don't, I'm the exactly everything you said. It's like my hands raised. Yeah. So what we did, what my wife and I did several years ago was we hired a full-time bookkeeper Mm -hmm. and she comes to the house once a week. When I say full-time, you know, she comes to the house once a week and she writes every check and she balances every checkbook and she mails everything out and she licks the envelopes and she does a QuickBooks. And so when it's tax time, I just print out the QuickBooks and hand it to my tax guy and it's all done. Yeah. It's and I, and so I don't, I can't be messy with my money or I'm less messy with my money because I've leveraged out that thing that I resist like you're resisting. And, and so it's done for me. I had a friend recently who invited a bunch of us over for a dinner party. And he said, I have an announcement I want to make to all of you. And we all got there kind of worried that he had cancer or something. And his announcement was that he was done working on himself, that he's decided <laughs> he's good enough as is, and that any area he still needs to work on, he's going to leverage out to other people. <laughs> I, want, I want this guy on my show. I, I'm going to get him for you. Absolutely. <laughs> I, want, I want the guy on my show who's fully actualized. <laughs> I know. It's so wonderful. <laughs> that's funny. Well, yeah. uh, I think that's a, that's a great place uh, to end. And cool. um First of all, I really appreciate the energy and the, the joy that you brought to our show today. I hope uh, and I'm certain that our listeners definitely got some clarity on how they can make better choices around their joy in their life. 
And um, to kind of track back to something you said, uh, as much as I love and uh, support that you're constantly working on your blades, your noble blades, I believe you're one of the most noble people I know. Mm. And, uh, and that's why I wanted you on the show today. So thank you so much for everything you brought today. Yeah, and thank you. Our, our relationship over the years has meant the world to me. So I'm really grateful. All right. Awesome, Tyler. Thank you so much. All right, listeners, that was another episode of Clear Choices. Thanks for listening. Please check the show notes for Tyler's books, his website. Uh, you can reach out to him if there's anything you're interested in about learning about his center or how to donate to the many causes he supports. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've been inspired and motivated by what you heard today, please subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. Post it on social media, invite friends, and let me know if you have any potential guests. While you're there, leave us a review. We'd love to connect with you as well, so check out our Facebook page by searching Clear Choices. I'm available for speaking engagements, and you can find more information by visiting our website at clearchoices.live. And all this can be found in our show notes. Join us next week for more inspiring stories that can help us all make clear choices. Thanks for listening.